Mercy is a soft and stooping thing, a finger laid on a wrist, feeling for a pulse. Hey, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, we're glad that you're listening to the House of Mercy uh, church service. Yeah, Sunday service. We're all so glad that, that you're here. Um, yeah, well, I don't know what's changed in the last week. Um, yeah. Kind of the, well, I know. Where are you at? Are you at home, Russell? Yeah, I'm still at home. I'm, I think I'm going to go camping. Well, I mean, I am going camping today just for a night down in Iowa. That's wonderful. I think it would be nice. Yeah, they didn't ever, they had no stay-at-home order down there, so... Uh, <laughs> It's uh, just, you know, COVID slathered all over everything down there. But we're going to go out yeah. in the woods in the state park. It should be nice. That's great. I'm still in Indiana, and, yeah, they're opening things up here. So we have COVID slathered all over here in Indiana, too. So. Well, nice. all right. Um, yeah, I hope everybody's uh, safe out there. And it's Mother's Day, so uh, if that's something that you uh, if that you that you celebrate, that you um, like, then a happy Mother's Day to all you mothers. Yeah, and you know we had talked initially about maybe we'd be back at church in the actual physical space on Mother's Day. Well, obviously we're not, but we'll keep you tuned. We'll keep you... Yeah, let's keep them tuned. Because sometimes, yeah. you know, they go out of tune. <laughs> and and uh, so we'll do our best. <laughs> yeah. We hope someday that yeah. we'll be the physical body again. But it isn't today. Yeah. All right. Uh, so announce us what we have to announce. Um, well, you know, upcoming... Well, you know, shut-in sessions. Uh, listen to those. I hope you uh, heard the Mercy Machine Uh uh, episode this last week, and you know, great. yeah. And did you get yourself? Did you download that coloring book? Um, it's fantastic. I did, but I planned to. All right. As soon as I get home, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, what else you got, Debbie? Yeah, I think you know. Uh, I think that's about it. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. God of mercy, help us switch to a slightly altered way of being as we sit in our living rooms or as we listen through our headphones or however it is that we attempt to be the body together, alone, outside, in a car, Wherever we are, help us pay attention to the possibility you create. Help us breathe in mercy. Amen. Won't you please join us in singing hymn number 33 out of your House of Mercy hymnal, If I Could Hear My Mother Pray Again. Sweet, my weary heart would beat if I could hear my mother. 
God of mercy, we might need help grieving some of the things we have lost. Graduations, proms, the freedom to sit next to a brother or visit our mother. That sense of ease that everything's okay. We may still be standing, but we are not all right. We pray for those who have lost the most, and we pray for those who have lost a little. Give us the freedom to feel sad or angry or afraid or whatever it is that is coursing through our veins. When we come to gratitude, we'll have some scratches. Show us the way. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, thank you for giving us people to love and to be loved by. Mothers and friends and children and partners, people who know us, what is ugly and beautiful and vulnerable in us and never leave. Thank you for the intimate and the everyday, the imperfect and durable. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those who do not feel loved. We pray for those whose fear is outpacing the gratitude. We pray for those for whom death is near. Give them your deep, wide, all-encompassing love. God, in your mercy, amen. The scripture reading for tonight comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 8, verses 16 through 19. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Hold out your rod and strike the dust of the earth, and it shall turn to lice throughout the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron held out his arm with the rod and struck the dust of the earth, and vermin came upon man and beast. All the dust of the earth turned to lice throughout the land of Egypt. The magicians did the like with their spells to produce lice, but they could not. The vermin remained upon man and beast. And the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart stiffened, and he would not heed them, as the Lord had spoken. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I blame Ralph Nader. Target Center, the year 2000, a new millennium, folded into the stadium seats way up and way back, my bride of five years pressed in next to me, two-year-old gift of a girl squirming on my lap, still struck sometimes that the universe trusts us with this perfect creation, my heart so full, the arena so full, 17,000 people, everyone happy, so happy, giddy really. The close quarters don't lead to irritation, but camaraderie. When someone has to squeeze down our road to get to an empty seat, we smile and chuckle as they step on our shoes. They apologize with their shoulders. We absolve them with the sweep of our hands. We are all in this together, we know. And now to articulate the power of good citizenness we all feel is Mr. Smiley sentimental. The emperor has no clothes, pointer outer, power to the people, cuddly muckraker himself, Michael Moore. He comes to rev us up and introduce the heretofore most unlikely candidate for president, Mr. Ralph Nader. Ralph Nader. 
After eight years of a conservative Democrat, we're going all the way left, past Al Gore. That's right, Al Gore, left of Clinton, but not far enough. The choice was ours. We were there. It was either Al Gore or Ralph Nader next in the White House, and there was no doubt that we could do it. We could get Ralph Nader there. What a time to be alive. Welcome to the 21st century. But we couldn't do it. We didn't do it. What we did was sink Al Gore. We did that in an unprecedented election, the likes of which we could not even believe was happening in our time. The Supreme Court appointed George Bush's son president of the United States. What was the world coming to? If we would not have believed, if we had acted practically, reasonably, instead of out of hope and excitement and belief in the goodness of our neighbors and strangers, if we would have planted gore placards in our yards instead of the green and white ones, if we would have knocked on all those doors for the inevitable candidate, the election would have been a landslide, and not even William Rehnquist could have pulled that dullard into the White House and set up perpetual war, the granting of personhood to corporations, the dismantling of social infrastructure, the willful destruction of the planet, the full-scale buyout of the government, and a division of the citizenry that is so cynical and calculated and relentless that I can taste hate in my mouth just seeing a pickup truck or a fast food restaurant. And I used to love pickup trucks and chicken sandwiches. All of this because we made the wrong choice. Didn't work hard enough. Let it happen. And we can't let it happen again. And here we are, so much wrong, so much sad, so much anger, plague upon plague, and the only thing we can do about it is sit at home and click. Like. Sad face, mad face, happy birthday, $20 to your cause, post, rant, repost, touch it all. Take that index finger and scroll. Of all the plagues and plague speeches, the commands of God, the demands of Moses, the retorts of Pharaoh, the words that catch me in all this sprawling narrative are spoken by the magicians. Pharaoh's magicians are a curious chorus of ineptitude. When Moses and Aaron bring a plague from God to Pharaoh and inflict it on the Egyptians, Pharaoh's magicians try to replicate the plague to show that Pharaoh's whole thing is just as powerful as Yahweh's whole thing. Aaron throws his staff down and turns it into a snake, and Pharaoh's magicians throw down a staff and turn it into a snake. Moses turns the Nile to blood. Pharaoh's magicians turn the river to blood. Yahweh's guys bring up frogs all over the land. And so then Pharaoh's magicians bring up frogs all over the land. I know it doesn't really seem to make any sense to have the magicians increase the amount of the plagues. Why not try to reverse them instead of replicating them? which finally occurs to them, or to Pharaoh, when the lice hits. The Lord says to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike 
the distance of the land, and there will be lice in all the land of Egypt. So he does, and there's lice on all the animals and all the people. Rivers of blood are one thing, and sure, frogs everywhere are inconvenient, but lice all over everybody, every body, it's too much. So the magicians don't try to replicate it. They try to undo it. But the text reads, The magicians of Egypt tried with their spells to take out the lice, but they were unable. And the lice were in man and beast. And the magician said to Pharaoh, God's finger it is. God's finger it is. This is their explanation for their failure. We can't undo this because God did it. It's not just Yahweh's magicians doing this. This is actually Yahweh. It's not magic. It's God. Previously, the narrative mentions God's hand or God's arm, but here, just the finger. But they don't say, they don't say anything like, this is the power of the creator of all things, or even God's hand is in this. They say God's finger is in it. It's just that little bit, and that's enough. God's finger, it's such a small thing, such a small gesture. It's not a fist or a whole hand. God does not put his back into the effort. No, it's his finger, a slight bit of a thing. The gesture, a finger gesture. Like when someone is talking in a group and you really don't want to interrupt, but you just want to clarify one small thing or ask one little question, you don't raise your whole hand. You put up just one finger to say, um, excuse me, I don't want to interrupt, just a small point. Or I just have one question. Raising the one finger is both an interruption and an apology at the same time. Or you put your finger in the wind. Just put a finger in the air to see which way the wind is blowing. Which basically means I'm not really going to put any work or thought into this to try and figure this out. It's just more of a wild guess. And if it's sort of what other people think, uh, I'll go with that. It's, it's an utter lack of conviction. You put your finger on the scale. You put your finger on the scale, and you are changing the weight just a little bit in your favor. Not really enough for anyone to notice. A small deception. The only other place God's finger is mentioned in the Old Testament is when Moses goes up to Sinai to receive the law. In Exodus 31, it says, And he gave Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the covenant, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. Well, that seems like more than just a slight gesture. The Ten Commandments written by the finger of God. That's no small gesture. Surely the mighty finger of God carving into stone God's covenant with God's people seems like a grand gesture. High up on the mountaintop with thunder and lightning flashing and fire. The finger of God 
actually doesn't turn out to be that powerful. It does not have the power to compel or convict God's people to follow it. This thing, these, this covenant that God writes with his finger, it does not turn out to be a definitive covenant for the relationship between God and God's people because the people do not adhere to it. Not even the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. When Moses returns from the mountain with the laws written by the finger of God, the first thing he sees is a giant bacchanal where all of God's people are worshiping another god. They literally have another god before them. It is the first commandment written by God's finger, and the people break it immediately. And the person leading this other god worship, it's Aaron, Yahweh and Moses' guy. The one with the staff who delivered all the plagues. Yahweh told Moses what to do, and Moses told Aaron, and Aaron stretched out the staff and made it happen. Aaron was the acting finger of God that the magicians were talking about. But here he is leading the people in the inaugural breaking of the inaugural commandment. Moses loses it and smashes the stone tablets. The tablets written by the finger of God are in pieces. But it's not over. God doesn't abandon the people for not following the commandments. God went through all the drama on the mountaintop, all the fire and lightning, the writing in stone with God's own finger, and it falls apart before it even gets started. God does not destroy them, walk away, reverse creation. No, God puts his finger to stone once again and makes him another copy. And God doesn't stay up in the mountain looking down on the people for violations. God comes down from the mountain and then follows the people around the desert, camping with them, watching the failure up close, bearing witness to the weakness of his finger-written words. Why? It was supposed to be so different. We were supposed to be part of something beautiful and just, noble and virtuous. All people equal before the law and in regard in the regard of their fellows. No hunger, no hatred, education and a living wage. People valued for their differences, not derided for them. Technology and sacrifice and the good work and will of all people turning down the planet's temperature, preserving it for all the people and creatures yet to come. Damn you, Ralph Nader. In the morning, Jesus came to the temple, and the people brought a woman to him and told them, this woman has been caught in the act of committing adultery. The law of Moses commands us to stone her to death. Jesus bent down before them and wrote with his finger on the ground, then looked up and asked, Let the one who has not broken these laws throw the first stone. Then he takes his finger and writes in the dirt again. One by one they all leave, and Jesus is left alone with the woman. Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? 
No one, she says. Then neither do I. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and gave thanks for it and broke it and gave it to the disciples to eat, saying, Take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and gave the cup for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and shed for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. We invite you to share communion with each other during the hymn. You know, you might think, because this is a podcast, we don't really expect you to sing along, but we do. So join us in singing House of Mercy hymn number 28, I Shall Not Be Moved. Just like a tree, planted by the wall. 